It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980 as well. And we're joined now by our good pal Mike Jones from The Athletic. Mike, uh, fun little day we're having here, huh? Hey, you know, uh, nothing like a little, what are we on, Thursday uh, Thursday news dump here? You know, it's pretty quiet. We're watching, we're waiting, and then boom. Here we go. Finally yeah. got their guy. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. So we were talking this morning when we set this up, right? And we said, uh, at that point, I'd seen your tweet about kind of the process and where it goes. And then all of a sudden, like 30 minutes later, they announced Quinn. Like, what did you make of the process to get here? And how do you think that's impacting how people see this hire? Well, um, the process itself, I think it played out kind of awkwardly. Um you know, just because it was clear that they were trying to wait this thing out um, because they wanted to interview, uh, you know, Ben Johnson again. Um, he was their favorite guy from, you know, all accounts. And but, you know, when I asked around the league, you know, hey, we surprised that he pulled out Washington, Seattle. And, you know, the people around the league that I talked to said, no, I mean, he's a different kind of cat. And look, remember, he backed out of an interview request with Atlanta, with Carolina, um, and they knew that he had a very high asking price. And some people thought that the asking price was to some degree because he wasn't totally sure that he wanted to leave. So he almost made it, you know, a little bit, hey, if I'm going to leave, let it be an insane amount there. Um, and so you saw some talented guys come off of the market while they were waiting this thing out. And so, you know, that didn't look the greatest. Um, you know, they will tell us that, hey, Dan Quinn was our guy from jump. We wanted a strong leader and whatever. And maybe so. But if they wanted Dan Quinn absolute the most, they could have hired him um, on the spot, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Now, did they just want to do their due diligence and, and see Ben Johnson one more time? I guess you could say that. But again, just the way that it played out, it didn't look the greatest, especially because the way they went so hard, got the number one guy on the market in the general manager search. Um, and so this was different. Yeah, I, I do. I totally agree with you. And I think that they almost had to make this higher today to save any face. Not that like, look, once they take the field, how much does this stuff matter? Not really much um, unless there's a reason they didn't like the guy. Um, but it's kind of like you open it up again and try to add candidates then you're admitting that the guys that you interviewed and were left with were not impressive enough for you to hire one of them. So the idea that they could have potentially opened it up, like Schefter was on ESPN last night going like, oh, well, they, they could take their time now. I'm like, not really, because if if not, like, or if so, like your whole process that looked really smart and looked like it was well put together clearly didn't work. And that's not a, that's not a great start to uh, the Josh Harris slash Adam Peters era. No, it wasn't. And I mean, take your time. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, he said they could take the time. It could be tomorrow. It could be, you know, a week from now. Um, so, you know, who knows? But I, I agree with you. They had to make this hire now. Um, the only way that if they didn't is if they said, hey, we wanted to, we want, you know, we really like Steve Wilkes. But the thing is, if they really liked him, they would have put in an interview request and they would have been able to interview him uh, before now, right after conference championships. And also, Adam Peters knows Steve Wilkes. So even if right. that was the narrative, it still would have been a little sketchy. Um, but either way, to us, it looks odd. 
Um, and I know for the fans, this isn't the most you know sexy hire. I sent out a text blast to a number of talent evaluators and coaches, and everybody's got good things to say about Dan Quinn. Um, you know, and people are like, look, don't let the Cowboys' last game uh, sway you on this guy. He's got the body of work. It's a smart hire. He's a strong leader. He'll connect with his players. He'll put them in position uh, to succeed. This is a good hire. That was multiple people said that. But they also said, look, it's going to take time, though. That roster is not nearly as good as what it was even last year. Um, you know, Ron and Marty kind of, um, you know, they put them in a position you know, where it was hard for them to succeed. No offensive line. Trading away both pass rushers. Not having strong linebacking. Um, you know, so those are all things they're going to have to get. Uh, and it could take a year, it could take two years, uh, but they have the resources. Now we'll see how they use it. Yeah, Mike Jones is with us from The Athletic. I struggle with this roster, not because I think it's actually great, but I like maybe it's better than we think. And it was so poorly coached that there are a few pieces here or there that not that I think everyone's going to be like that, but like, is there one piece here, one piece there that was just so horribly misused? I look at a guy like Emmanuel Forbes who struggled, like he's the kind of corner that Dan Quinn wants that super aggressive turnover machine. So I'm curious, like, as you talk to talent evaluators who are taking jobs in new places, how do they go about, like if you're Adam Peters or Dan Quinn coming into this job, how do you try to begin to evaluate what looks like a flaming pile of wreckage from the 2023 commander season? Yeah, well, this is the problem. They don't have a lot of draft picks that have done well for them, really. You know, right. um, when you think back the last several years, uh, they haven't. Um, and so there are holes there. You've used, you know, draft picks. Your best position is probably your defensive tackle position spot. Somebody said to me, but you know what? Jonathan Allen doesn't sound like he's a guy who wants to go through more rebuilding. You're going to have to wind up trading him because he's thinking about his next contract. He wants to win. He wants to get paid. Um, Will they wind up having to trade him? Um, When you look at the roster, there's nothing on the offensive line that's something that you can say, hey, here's a real cornerstone there. They went out and got some free agent linemen, didn't really give them a whole lot there. Uh, the linebacking core, again, edge rushers, uh, those were areas that people mentioned to me. They also say, hey, you know, the question's about Forbes because he was, you know, a, a supposedly, look, remember when he was drafted, we all had questions because this kid sure. was, you know, very long, which is great, but really, really light. Um, now, Will Dan Quinn be able to find a way to put him in position to succeed and take advantage of his strengths? Maybe he'll be a better uh, defensive minor. Whoever he brings in as a defensive backs coach can get something out of him. But, you know, just given the track record of all the draft picks that were under Ron, um, it's hard to look at this whole roster and say there's a lot there. What I was told uh, from another town evaluator said, hey, that roster probably two years ago was pretty good, had some holes, but still had some pieces. Now, basically, you have Terry, um, you know, you had a young quarterback, but he's kind of, you know, shell-shocked, ruined a little bit by the way he was mismanaged. Um, you know, Brian Robinson, a decent running back there. Uh, but overall, there's not a real position you can point to and say, hey, we are great right here, outside of, again, probably the wide receiver position. Uh, but a lot of holes, got to get an offensive line, got to get better linebackers, got to get edge rushers. Uh, that way you can you know, make a little bit of it. 
Right. The hope is that they're not as bad at scouting as it seems, and they were worse in coaching. Uh, but there's also the chance that they were actually that bad at scouting, in which case, oh, buddy, this is going to be a long rebuild. Um, you know, Sam Cosby along the offensive line. But, like, again, it's a misuse. Like, if the best thing you've done in the last four years is take a right tackle that turns into a good right guard, that wasn't a good use of a pick. You, you're just you're bad at this, and that's seems to be where we've been at. Um, you mentioned the coaches. You do such a good job of kind of covering the the next crop of up and coming coaches. We've heard the name Clint Kubiak bandied about. A couple of others already. What are you hearing in terms of the OC still available and who could be a good fit with Dan Quinn? Uh, probably off that Kyle Shanahan tree, who obviously he and Dan had such great success in Atlanta, or he and Kyle had such great success in Atlanta. Right. You know, and that's, I asked somebody, I said, does Kyle have any more guys that he can raise right now? <laughs> uh, because, you know, Raheem Morris is swiping guys right now, yeah. like from, from, right. from Kyle, from, uh, from Sean McVay, like they're getting those guys. Now, Chris Morgan is a name that was mentioned to me. Um, he was also in Atlanta uh, there, an offensive line guy, but somebody that's also been viewed as um, a potential offensive coordinator uh, in the making. I'm not saying that Dan Quinn or that he's, you know, that he's the guy right now. But a couple years ago, somebody had said, hey, this guy's got a bright future. And I continue to hear that he's the guy that, um, so if you're looking at that that Kyle Shanahan tree um, of guys, uh, you know, maybe that's a name. Again, we'll see. Uh, and we don't know if Dan Quinn is going to go with that same type of offense um, this time around. He could do something different. Um, Pep Hamilton's a name that was told to me, hey, look, he's a very good offensive coordinator. He's had success um, in a lot of different stops with different styles of quarterbacks. Um, he's a guy that, you know, should. But again, we don't know what Dan Quinn um, is looking at. You know, it seems like uh, that that Shanahan type of uh, brand is what is really expanding and taking over the league. But uh, again, you know, maybe he looks for something entirely different in his second act as a head coach. Mike Jones from The Athletic with us. Let me ask you about a name that I am stunned I have not heard more. Frank Smith is Mike McDaniel's top lieutenant in Miami on the offensive side. He was a guy I thought was going to get head coaching looks. I think Carolina had him in for an interview. I can't remember. But I, I'm kind of surprised that his name hasn't come up more. And I do wonder if like Dan or someone else could pry him away from Mike by offering him play-calling responsibilities, which obviously McDaniel's is calling the plays at Miami's. What's kind of the Frank Smith story been this offseason? Yeah, you know, and it was interesting that he was one of the guys that the NFL Players Association, when they did their poll, they pulled all the players and you were supposed to rank your coordinator. And he was one of the top five uh, vote getters um, uh, of all the coordinators. Uh, but what was interesting about him that some people when I asked, you know, guys who were who were interviewing for general manager jobs, say, hey, do you, did you put any stock into that survey? And a lot of them said no. Um, because they're like, look, a lot of these office coordinators that they're saying here have never called plays. So they're a little bit unknowns. Um, and, and Frank Smith was a the guy they say, hey, I mean, yeah, he's there with Mike McDaniel, who does a great job, but he's only been there for, you know, a, a two years. And we just don't know um, a whole lot about him at that time. Now, is it somebody that, um, you know, the coaching, you know, fraternity is very small. You know, there's only 32 coaching staffs and everybody is connected in some way. Is that a, a way that you could get somebody? I think that by offering him play calling duties, it would be the carrot that you have to dangle um, to get him. But again, we don't know if that is, you know, who Dan Quinn's looking at, uh, but he is a guy that's well-respected by his players, even though he wasn't a play caller because of his organizational skills, the way he's able to connect 
um, with players and his attention to detail. And also, even though Mike McDaniel was the architect and the, the play caller, um, he still has to lead the offensive meetings, uh, Frank Smith did. And so it's not like this guy's incompetent. All these guys are calling plays in their heads. Um, and sometimes they're having input just because they haven't been play callers. But it's just something that um, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a veteran guy or a guy that, you know, maybe needs a little more seasoning. I think, you know, Bobby Sloak was a guy that, you know, had some head coaching interest. But I think a lot of people were kind of kicking the tires on him to look for the future. This is his first year as a play caller. Did a great job, but not ready for a head coaching job. But, you know, he jumped from not being a play caller in San Francisco to being a very good play caller with Houston with a rookie quarterback. So there's an example for you. If Frank Smith is a guy, yeah, he didn't call plays. Brian Callahan did not call plays in Cincinnati. Really impressed when I asked around in Tennessee. He was very prepared, had a clear vision, very detailed. His knowledge of what their roster was and how he would use them really impressed them. So just because you're not a play caller doesn't mean that you're not um, a potential guy. And, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. All right. Last thing for Mike Jones. I totally agree on that, by the way. I'm, I'm fascinated kind of that play calling thing. Like, yeah, it's really important, but there's a lot of other stuff that you can judge coaches off of. Um, last thing, uh, as we close the book on the last era here, we think that Eric Bieniemy is going to be on his way out. It does seem like Quinn's probably going to go in a different direction. I mean, obviously he could surprise us all and retain EB, but what's next for him? Um, you know, he, he comes to DC to prove that he can do uh, a job outside of Andy Reed's wingspan and, or outside of Andy Reed and with more responsibility. Yeah, I know there's a bunch of other factors there, but he didn't ultimately do a good job. Where does that leave him uh, now moving forward? You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I don't know uh, where that leaves him. Um, you know, I, I've heard different things. I know that players here um, weren't really a fan. I know that he was hard on his assistants. Uh, but people on the outside felt like, hey, look, he had that kid playing very well for the first half of the season. Um, and then – um, when, you know, defenses got the playbook on him and new bring pressure and everything like that. They also fell behind a lot when their defense, you know, lost their two pass rushers and weren't able to stop anybody. And so they had to throw a whole lot. I felt like the enemy's play calling reflected basically a guy who's calling plays for a veteran quarterback um, and not a guy who knew how to develop a young guy. Um, so we'll see. I don't think that he was a bust. Was it as successful as what, you know, everybody would have hoped? No. Uh, but, you know, Again, there's there's a lot of guys that are out there who are connected to certain guys that they've already had in mind. I haven't heard his name yet, um, and a lot of these offensive coordinator positions are being filled up. Yeah, that is the weird thing. I'm just like, wait, are we going to go musical chairs, and EB is going to go from a guy who came here to become a head coach to not even having an OC job? That seems I mean, weird, it but it seems plausible. Right. I mean, look, a couple years ago, Byron Leftwich turned around the Jack turned down the Jacksonville Jaguars head coaching job because he felt like maybe he'd find a better situation the next year. The next year, the Patriots weren't very good. Um, because, I mean, the Patriots, the Buccaneers weren't great. Tom Brady right. was on his way out, you know. Um, and then, you know, Byron Leftwich, nobody interviewed him the next year. And then this year, nobody could even tell you where he is. I've been on a goose chase since October trying to find the dude and nobody knows. So, you know, you hope that a EV can bounce and find a place somewhere, but you just never know. 
Yeah, he would be great on TV. I'll tell you that much. His yeah, his personalities. Sure. Let's let's get EB on a on a mic. Just got to remind him uh, that probably he's going to be legislated by the FCC. Uh, anyone that went to training camp knows that that's that could be an issue. Uh, Mike Jones with us. Uh, see you next week in Vegas. Yep, I'll be there. All right, I'll see you out on Radio Row. That's Mike Jones from The Athletic. Uh, read his work covering all the coaching searches league-wide. He's got great information, especially on that next crop of up-and-coming coaches always throughout the year. So as you kind of follow the cycle year-long, Mike's always a must-read. Uh, we get back. Uh, a few more thoughts to close out the hour. And then Mike and I's buddy John Kime joins us at 5 o'clock here on The Hoffman Show.